and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Danielle Hanley, and joining me on the other line, now that he's figured out that he is indeed not a robot, it's John McMahon. <laughs> it was touch and go there. There was a lot of uncertainty. I passed through the little gate thing without exploding, so we're all good. I really had, like, not a robot, but maybe a cyborg vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, um, <laughs> yes, Yumi and Donna Haraway went through the robot gate together as cyborgs. It's really true. So we are back, but we're doing something a little bit different. A lot of it different. A lot of it different. We've got, so basically, usually when you join us on these lovely episodes, John is really steering the ship. He's seen the Americans before, and I am the novice, but we have switch gears. This time around, and this time John's the novice, and I'm taking the reins, and we're going to explore some Marvel properties, as well as continuing to explore the Americans. So both of those episodes are going to be in our feed. Um, that's, but, that's two not-quite-great-book podcasts a week. Yeah. That is 18 hours of podcasts a week for you <laughs> to listen to. Be excited. Summer 2022. <laughs> <laughs> God, but so um, we are starting our exploration of the MCU TV properties with a little thing called Loki. You might have heard of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we are starting with Loki season one, episode one. The episode is titled Glorious Purpose. It's directed by Kate Heron, who you might know as the director of some of the episodes of season one of Sex Education, which is a great show on Netflix. And then it's written by Michael Waldron, who is uh, credited with the Written for TV. And then Bisha K. Ali, who's credited as the story editor. And Alyssa Karasik, who's credited as the staff writer. And sort of the way that these Disney shows work is like, they're written by, uh, they're like, they're written in a writer's room, but there's one person who's really like helming the, uh, the process. And so that is Michael Waldron. And you might know him from Rick and Morty, which is also sort of like a multiversal time traveling show. So, uh, useful. And he actually is also the writer of the most recent, uh, entry in the MCU, Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And he's actually pulled off, uh, this show, um, to, to write once it's written, but he's pulled off as it goes into production to write Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Mandis. So Marvel loves this dude. Kevin Feige's BFF. His yeah. I mean, I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I will. I'll try to not slander Kevin Feige too much in these next 12 weeks. <laughs> anybody who is interested in where both John and I fall on the, like, Kevin Feige-o-meter might check out uh, a recent episode of ours, our meta-theory episode, where we dig deep into... Um, the fundamental rift in our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Which will come out way more in this show than it has so far in the Americans, so, like, buckle up. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm of two minds, Danielle. One is that I should be respectable and uh, minimize the hating and the slandering. And the other is that I should play up and like bring all the hatred that I can for the drama. I think, listen, play it up because if it were, if it were the other way, you know that I wouldn't. That's a hundred percent. That is very, very true. <laughs> 
as Tinny likes to say, others refer to her not as passive aggressive, but aggressive aggressive. It I think that's probably funny. a Hanley sister line, actually, is where I first heard that. It's not a Hanley sister line that somebody else said it about me, but my sisters fully agree with it. And also, they, it's not a Hanley sister line about me, but it is something that applies to all of the Hanley sisters. Mm, got it. As anyone who listened to the Hanley sister season one Americans episode would, would guess. Some of them will be back, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think all those qualifiers are important. So we've got... I'm going to read the summaries. Yes, we decided Very this. Exciting. Very all exciting. Very exciting, right. yes. So the summary from IMDb of Glorious Purpose is that Loki, the god of mischief, finds himself out of time and in an unusual place enforced against his godly disposition to cooperate with others. So, Danielle, I think maybe a first question for us is one that in some ways builds off of the meta theory conversation that we had, and that is, who is the audience for this show? And am I in it? (laughs) (laughs) So, I think that you are in it, one, because you watched it, so you are actually in it. But, like, to get at the, the bigger question, I think the audience for this show is... I think a bit wider than some of the other MCU things. And and I say that because while, and we will get into this in a, a little bit later. We've got some we, new segments. Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. We'll, we'll tell you about those segments as we, as we go on. But like, while there is, there are a lot of references to Marvel comics and other MCU properties and, and like tons of Easter eggs, there's also a way in which this this show is like somewhat self-contained and they give you a lot of this episode is an exposition dump of all of the things you need to know in order to like engage with the show. And you don't really need to know too much um, within the, the breadth of the MCU. Yeah. And this I think is the reason why this is an interesting question is not only because you and I have different relationships to being the audience or not to the show, but also it seems to me that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that as the MCU movies and then eventually also TV progressed, Mm -hmm. they became more interwoven together and more kind of mutually dependent on one another such that it would have been easier for me to choose whatever MCU movie or movies came out in 2011 than to like watch, you know, obviously like Avengers, Infinity War, Endgame. Yeah, I think that that's right. And I think like, and I think we will talk about this as the show goes on. But part of the way that I understand the show is it's like a little bit breadcrumby to like lead people into the witch's house of the MCU. Like, but it doesn't start out with you needing a ton of background knowledge to enjoy what's going on because Mobius is a new character, like uh, Judge Renslayer is a new character, the TVA is a totally new thing. We haven't seen these things in the MCU before. We haven't seen the Are You a Robot? Like we have. There's so much stuff <laughs> happening. We haven't we haven't met Miss Minutes before. Like there's so much stuff happening in this episode that sets up what this show is going to be. That is basically divorced from like the rest of the MCU. And at this, this comes out and there are, I think what 23 or 24 films that are already out. And we haven't, we haven't had so much of the stuff. So I think the audience for this show is actually designed to be like, it's designed to, to, to pull you in and like, listen, 
I'll watch anything in a Tom Hiddleston is in. So can we, let's, let's have this conversation actually first. So obviously Tom Hiddleston, a like beautiful, beautiful man. And like the Loki hair just doesn't do him any favors. And like, I appreciated the gratuitous, nearly naked Tom Hiddleston shot (laughs) that we get for like 1.3 seconds in this episode. Yeah. Trust me. But nonetheless, like, I understand. I'm sure there's, like, there's many character reasons to, like, give him the hair and so on and so forth. But, like, it's probably the least uh, attractive he's ever been is with you his know, hair. I, I'm with you, like, the – and I will say that, like, the Loki hair in general in the MCU might be my least favorite character choice. <laughs> However – if, like, this guy is supposed to be, like, a little bit used car salesman like, the hair screams that. <laughs> yes, that's that's a good point. <laughs> like, but I'm with you. I'm, like, also, Tom Hiddleston has, like, beautiful, like, curly, yeah, luscious hair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but, like, it does tell us what kind of character this guy is. And, like... I'm assuming it's also, like, this was how it was drawn in graphic novels dating yeah. much further back than, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And- yeah. I, like, that's right. And also, like, his hair in this series is actually better than it is in a lot of other places in the MCU, which Great. is Great. saying a lot. <laughs> <sighs> All right. I'll say, like, as a follow-up to the audience question... Uh, being a relative outsider to this series, like I had, I watched Loki last summer at Danielle's urging <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> with this, with a somewhat similar pitch that you all just got. In fact, that as an outsider to Loki, to the MCU, etc., I think one of the most fascinating things or intriguing things about this particular episode mm-hmm. as Loki enters, as you pointed out, the TVA is this new entity, this new institution within the Marvel universe. Loki enters it. I then as we enter it, I suppose, and start to learn about it. And I, to me, like the most intriguing thing is that Loki and his like God of mischief uh, yeah. shtick is kind of calling into question the very foundation of its existence. And mm-hmm. to me, that's a really interesting choice for the writers to make for the way that Tom Hiddleston acts it, so on and so forth. Yeah. And what I, one of the things that like I love so much about this series and that I'm interested in is the like playing with the playing with the time and temporality. And so like Loki that we get in this series is 2012 Loki in the main timeline of the MCU. We've already like seen this. We've already met this Loki and we've watched him go through these like, like this whole character arc and, and this is like a reset. So we sort of are, so we've watched him in some ways overcome the like villain, uh, the, the villain arc and like, and the worst parts of the gods of mischief. But the Loki in this series is like back to being like, the most mischievous, like most uh, ridiculous version of himself. And so it raises the question of like, okay, well, we've seen him overcome that once. Is the overcoming of that something that he is going to always do? Or is the overcoming of that just something we got in this one arc? Mm, Okay, that's... That throws into relief some of the questions about free will and determinism that the show simply but interestingly raises, yeah. in my view. 
I mean, I, I think what I'm interested in is like a, a subversive reading of Loki, the character or an esoteric reading of Loki, the character where he's the villain, but in fact, actually he's the one who's right about all of this. And the, and the what sense, do you mean by all of this? By, you know, he says, well, A, one of his first lines to uh, to the judge played by Gugu and Batha Ra is like, this is all incredibly tedious, which I just found hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, you know, things when he's like, well, blame all this destruction that was caused on the Avengers. And, of course, uh, the judge is like, no, that's, we're not here to talk about the Avengers. What they did was supposed to happen. Yeah. Right? So, like, Loki being like, well, what if we actually question what the Avengers are doing? Yeah. I think is interesting. Loki saying, when he's talking with Mobius, after Mobius saves him from resetting slash quasi-death, he says, I'm going to burn this place to the ground. And, like, what if we actually should burn the TVA to the ground? Or Loki says... These are all just an institution run by three godly space lizards, and that's fundamentally <laughs> absurd. Um, and then all of those things, I actually think he's got a point. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think, like, the perhaps the summary question to capture all of that is, like, who gets to decide what we get to question, right? Who yeah. gets to decide what authority looks like, but who gets to decide, like, you know, Loki and that we're pursuing Loki instead of the Avengers, right? Who gets to decide what is part of the sacred timeline and what Mm -hmm. is not? Mm -hmm. Exactly. I have have many questions about this that we will be exploring over the next uh, month and a half of this. Yeah. I love it. I like, I'm on board for the subversive reading of Loki because I think that's also what the, what the show invites us to, to consider whether or not like Loki's questions are the questions that we would want to take up. Right. Like there's a, there's a little like Loki's an antihero, right? Like, but, but also a little bit not. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, the strictures of the political economy and kind of narrative conventions, I think probably prevent Loki's questioning from ever being taken too seriously in universe would be my assumption or expectation going in. But I nonetheless think that from this pure outsider skeptic position that I am occupying, I think that those are actually the precise questions to be asking. I'm going to plead the fifth on commenting on those things. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, Well, and I, this, we mentioned this already, but the show is clearly interested in raising the kind of classic question that any number of genres want to engage. And that is about free will and determinism. Yeah. Um, in terms of, you know, everything has been like set up on the sacred timeline and it's any deviation from that, which we could of course read as an expression of free will. That is the thing that must be corrected. If I am understanding what the sacred timeline is correctly. Yeah, no, I I think you are. And also like, this is, this is in part a connection to like other moments that Loki has in the, in the MCU where like he's Loki in the MCU is like questioning free will and questioning like what humans are willing to do and what they're Mm. willing to give up. Like that's part of, part of uh, one of his, like I'll call it a rant one of his rants in the Avengers is like about that questioning and like about the questioning of whether or not humans want, uh, want to have control over their lives or want to give control over, over to others. And I think that those questions are like factored into this like broader discussion of free will. Yeah. I appreciate that point because 
we get both a kind of more absolutist free will position from Loki in this show and the position that you just articulated from Loki in this show. Um, what she is, you point out, is drawing on previous iterations of or whatever of Loki and, and other uh, properties. Yeah, well, it's well, it's this Loki, like, let's call it two days ago. So, like, we, this Loki, this is, like, why the timeline stuff is so bonkers. So, <laughs> this Loki is right at the end of the first Avengers movie. Yes, this um, is New York 2012. This is 2012 Loki, and he has, a couple of days earlier, like, had this rant about free will and questioning and all of that. So it's, like, it's it's right at the tip of his tongue. Um, and then he sort of, like, steals the Tesseract and pieces out, and that's... Good move. We can get into this later. <laughs> Good move. Um, yeah, and I mean, the then the, the determinism, such as it is side, is, of course mostly represented by the authorities of the TVA and to some extent Mobius, Mobius calls it a set path. If I have the quotation yeah. right in this scene between uh, him and him and Loki. But if I remember correctly, Mobius comes in to question things a little bit more as the series goes on. Yeah. Mobius is at least, and we see this in this episode, right? Like Mobius has his, is like has his own set of interests. Whereas, like, the TVA in general is like, mm, this Loki, like, messed up the timeline, so we got to get rid of him, right? That's their, he's on trial for the, the like, stepping out of the time, the sacred timeline. And Mobius rolls in and is like, actually, like, I think he could be helpful. And we find out at the end of the episode, the reason that he could be helpful is because they're hunting a variant, another variant of Loki, and they think he could be useful in that. Um but I think it also invites us to think about how um, perhaps Mobius also is, like, inviting some subversion or or at least in the parlance of Jim Scott, like, feet dragging, right? Like, there's some, there's some at least minor forms of resistance happening with Mobius against the, like, broader structure. There's a Mobius strip joke in here that I can't quite, <laughs> I can't quite figure out. That was one of the, the uh, a rejected segment for this uh, Loki season of the podcast is I roll of the week and that the <laughs> character is literally named Mobius was a candidate for I roll of the week. It's fair, but it's the name of the character in the comics too. Again, like I, I understand that like there are pre-existing yeah, yeah. Uh, creations that, uh, that precede this and inform what it has to be. So I think we're going to get into this later, Danielle, but what do these questions about the subversive reading of Loki about free will and determinism have us thinking about with regards to self-knowledge? Yeah, I think like, so the, the, where the episode, this, I, I think that this episode does two things, right? On the one hand, we sort of get situated in this like outside time space that we're, that we're in. We, and we learn a, from Miss Minutes, uh, thank you, Tara Strong, a, like amazing voice actress um, who's voicing Miss Minutes. We we get a sense of like what the sacred timeline is and what all of these like how we got here and et cetera, et cetera. A really a really great set of graphics. And then the other thing that it does is it like gives us the relevant Loki background. 
so that we can, we as the audience can understand like who this Loki is, because again, we've plucked this Loki from the timeline. So if you had, if you've seen all of the movies, like you already knew all of the things that are in that video strip that Loki, that Mobius shows Loki about his life, but Loki doesn't know all those things, right? So like Loki doesn't know that his mother is going to die and that his mother is going to die as a result of like his own actions, even though he doesn't kill her. Loki doesn't know that his father's going to die. Um, Loki also like at this point has had a falling out with his father. So he like doesn't have that, has, doesn't have that relationship. And him and his brother are literally on opposite sides of this major fight that has happened in the Avengers, which is the Loki that we meet. What happens in this episode is we also get the sort of like greatest hits of Loki and we see this, this arc that he has gone through and the relationships that he had. And we also see how well equipped he is, even though like, imagine like seeing a video of your death and how emotionally shattering that would be. Right. But he also like has the capacity to like, to tell Mobius that he understands who he is. Right. He understands like, even though he's always hurting people, he doesn't like hurting people. Even though he's always failing, he doesn't like failing. But that these are, for Loki, like, integral parts of himself. And so I think, like, one of the big things in this episode, but I think it also sets it up for the the rest of the series, is this, like, this journey of, of self-knowledge and self-reflection. And what does it mean to, like know oneself or no one's many selves, right? Like what does it what does it mean and what are the implications of that? That might be a place where that might be a bit more credit than I'm willing to give the show itself. <laughs> um I I I I believe the Danielle version of that. Yeah. I think that that is not necessarily there in the show quite so much, except for the multiple or many selves nature. And like, I, I obviously a little bit know what's coming. I vaguely remember the plot yeah. lines of what's to come, but this, the dagger, but <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that's not a line that stuck with me from Loki. Um, <laughs> but this, this notion of the kind of multiplicitousness of the self, uh, yeah. the multiplicity of selves that we might contain within us, watch, Sure, our, is in variant multiverse, whatever gobbledygook in the uh, in the universe. But as humans living uh, multiple roles and relations in our lives, I think that is actually something worth considering, even if it's a stretch to get from Loki to such considerations in one's yeah, own life. I think that this is like one of those places. This is part of where you and I differ on these things. Is like, do I think that the show is doing all of that work? Not necessarily, but do I think that the show allows us to ask those questions in a profound way? Yes. And I think that that like that opening is all I need. And like that opening is precisely why I like have like some academic work on this stuff, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a moment. I think like I'm willing to be a generous reader of these texts in a way that you're just like, get out of here. (laughs) Correct. And (laughs) correct. And. 
I'm willing to go there for, for the sake of our friendship and the sake of this podcast. And, you know, let's be honest, like we're 20, however many minutes in and have gotten into, I think, relevant questions about how we read history and authority and perspective and criticism and the self and these sorts of things. So I, I can't, I can't continue to maintain this. There is no opening for such questions when clearly this podcast is proof that there is. <laughs> Listen, it's a real bull fan situation, just like exactly. most of our podcasts. <laughs> exactly. What, as Keller correctly pointed out, is just really a like excuse to never be decisive. I love it. And done. done. Great. Done. <laughs> what a read, Keller. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. What else do we have? I think we're going to talk a little bit about the design of the TVA in gloss, but I think this is connected to questions about free will and determinism, Mm -hmm. um, that one of the images that I liked the most just visually of this episode, and then the implications of that image are when... Mobius is in Aix-en-Provence in mm-hmm. 1540-whatever and meets a young child who came across the, like, bad Loki variant mm-hmm. that they're hunting. I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. I think yeah, this yeah, is yeah. correct. You got roughly. it. And the child points to this beautiful stained glass depiction of the devil Mm -hmm. as the person who was there and who visited them. Mm -hmm. Um, And first of all, just again, the the visuals of that is fascinating to me. And then secondly, obviously the conflation of outside a Christian notion of the devil, religious concept concept and structure, I'm presuming given that Loki is a God, um, to connect the bad Loki to the devil is just a fascinating thing, except that unlike the devil who like will give you an apple, this one gives you uh, a silly blue gum. I'm trying to think about like, so first of all, I just want to say that you just took it in the kind of direction that, that I've been trying to take things in for the last 26 minutes. So good on you. Um, what direction is that? I don't like just know like a doing. deeper direction of okay. like thinking about the imagery because the and and like when this episode came out that was a lot of what people were talking about but in particular to find people <laughs> the audience of this show the the podcasters who were talking about these episodes not in the same way that you were talking about it in terms of like christian imagery and and the the aesthetics of it and sort of that that the questions that we've been asking but a very specific character in like marvel comics mephisto is is that's the devil in marvel comics and so there was a lot of discussion especially after this episode, but in general in Loki more broadly and also in WandaVision, which came out a little bit before Loki about like, like, is this Mephisto? Is Mephisto behind things? Is the devil that's in the Marvel comics coming into the MCU? Like that's how that question got asked. Um, And Kate Heron in an interview was like, no, the, the devil imagery was actually not supposed to link to Mephisto though. Like there are, there are some theories that like, it still was, and she was McGovern and whatever, but it's Loki's horns. That that's oh, the yeah. connection that we're supposed yeah. to be making. Sorry, it was a long description, but there was like so much just because there had been so much discussion about Mephisto in 
relation to WandaVision when the this episode ends on this beautiful stained glass portrait of yeah. the devil and there is a devil character in the MCU and we thought we were going to get him in WandaVision and then it's like ooh are we now getting him here is is this possibly a connection etc cetera, etc cetera. and so the the like interpretation of the imagery was obviously very different but people were really drawn to that imagery just for a slightly different reason. Yeah. Also, like, come on, Mobius. Do you really need... I know you're going to reset their memory, like it's Men in Black or whatever, but do you really need to toy with the child and be like, here's my super advanced smartphone that can do a running stick figure in three <laughs> dimensions? Seems cruel. I'm putting a pin in that. It'll come back for us. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea what that's about. So I don't have anything else about the devil, just that I thought that was a cool image and there's an an, an obvious reading to make of it in relation to Christianity and God and devil and so on and so forth. Loki is like an ambiguous character, right? His gender is listed like in that scene, his gender is listed as fluid in the comics. uh, Odin refers to Loki as both his son and his daughter at different times. Thinking about the questions that you've raised around like free will and determinism and like, should we just like accept the TVA whole hog like and not question it, right? Like there's a, there's an ambiguity to Loki that's not, that's neither good nor evil. He sort of evades this, this like black and white distinction. The, and this is just like, it's supported even more by his, his like arc of evolution in the MC, MCU where he like starts out as sort of like, Thor's like brother and friend. Then he's the villain in the first team up movie. And then little by little, he sort of like comes to a different place and comes to these different relationships with, with Thor and the others. So like, so Archangel Gabriel becomes the devil, but Loki like redeems. Yeah. And it's like, it's not even, it's not, I I guess what I would say is like, it's not even as simple as like redemption. It's just like, there's like, Loki is the is the character of both and. Right. <laughs> he is our mascot. <laughs> wow. Pass. I have, I have nothing. <laughs> so anyway, like just to put just to put a bow on the discussion of of this like imagery with the devil, it's interesting that that's the 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 like aesthetic that we are offered at the end when all of this episode and all of the series, I think will raise a lot of questions about like, what is good? What is evil? And like, what do these things mean? And of course we have the actual literal ending of the episode is bad Loki setting of like wheat field in Oklahoma in the 19th century on fire. Yeah. Anachronistically, right? Like bringing, bringing stuff that shouldn't be in the 1800s in Oklahoma. I have questions about that. Don't worry. We're going to get there. (laughs) I love it. So Danielle, you mentioned that, you know, you've done some academic writing about the MCU and, uh, the key theme of, is, of that is what family can become outside mm-hmm. of kind of the nuclear family structure. Yeah. And then clearly, as you've already identified in this episode, one of the things that most directly emotionally and affectively reaches Loki in this episode is this future projection of what happens to this Loki's family. Yeah. So like, what do you think this episode is saying about family in the context of the broader MCU? Yeah. I think like one of the things I write about is this idea that 
in a world in which things are consistently like taking on new meaning and falling out of favor and and there's like like things are changing quite rapidly the family remains this like touchstone but it's not necessarily like the nuclear like a picture of the nuclear family from like the 1950s you know uh mom dad and two kids but that like the idea of family is this grounding like touchstone but what actually constitutes a family like i argue is like ever changing and evolving i'm sure like there are other arguments against that but it's but it's ever changing and so i think like one of the things that is really interesting about family with regard to loki is like as you said when we come back to like his mother his father his brother like those are the things that really hit him hard even though, again, like this Loki in 2012 has just essentially fought a an intergalactic war against his brother and his brother's friends, <laughs> but it's still it still pulls him in. So it's it's still incredibly affectively charged, and I think that there's something powerful about that. Well, to that last bit, there's then a way in which he's fighting for what, what is the family relation of his brother? Would that be an accurate statement, right? Of his brothers and his chosen family family assemblage of the Avengers assembling, um, then, uh, right. That's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. I I meant to say it with more disdain or sarcasm. I'll try again (laughs) next time. Um, so I mean, you know, it's interesting then that this God of mischief is, then, and again, if this is an inaccurate thing to say, please correct me, but is at least in this one episode, I appreciate that, is at least in this one episode more closely tied and, and emotionally um, entangled with the nuclear family. Yeah. Which is, which is probably not a nuclear family now that I, I, I So that's right. what I was going to say. I was like, he's, he's closely tied and impacted by his family, but Loki is an... Loki is adopted um, and so isn't the like biological child of his parents, though this Loki does not quite know that yet, I believe. If there's questions about family that I have, they're in the next segment. So I'm, okay. I'm, I'm willing Great. to jump ahead or we can, yeah, yeah. we can pursue this further. No, I think, I think we jump ahead because the next segment is a new segment for us and one that I'm excited about. Because it allows us to switch roles a little bit. <laughs> yes, this is our parallel to Daniel Dossier, except unlike Daniel Dossier, here Daniel will actually provide answers instead of uh, playful Maybe. teasing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's a game. We're going to end this. We're going to end yeah. uh, this segment with a game. Daniel, what's the, what's the name of our segment? The name of the segment is Marvel Splaining. <laughs> Where Danielle is going to Marvel Splain what is yeah. happening to me. Um, this Love might it. be a long segment this time. I'm hopeful that this will have uh, fewer questions as we move forward. But Yeah, I think it will. All right. I have several questions about how variants work. Okay. Is there a OG, the Loki of all Lokis? Yes or no? So in this show, the Loki that remains on the sacred timeline is the, is the like OG or like, we'll call him sacred Loki. Okay. The, what has happened is, so sacred Loki is the Loki that we 
meet and see in the MCU. So the video that Loki gets played with like his mother's death, his father's death, like him and Thor bantering, and then his own death, that's sacred Loki. So technically that is not the same as the Loki exactly we see in the show, but that is the Loki we see in the show's future. Yeah, so it's not so time works different in the TVA. Wow. <laughs> serious Marvel explaining, serious explaining vibes there from Daniel. So what has happened is if if the if twenty twelve Loki if TV show Loki had never t- in the scene that we get in the beginning where he steals the tesseract, yes. and then like pops up in the desert. That doesn't happen in the sacred timeline, right? Like, that's the Nexus event. That's the branch reality. Because what's supposed to happen is he's just supposed to, like, he loses the Battle of New York and Avengers. He, like, goes back. They take him back to Asgard, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. The rest of the MCU unfolds as it does. But Loki essentially, like, stepped off the sacred timeline when he steals the Tesseract. So for the purposes of the show... Sacred Loki is the Loki in the MCU. What Mobius shows Loki is like what is supposed to happen in his life. It has not happened yet to like 2012 Loki, but if he had stayed on the sacred timeline, it would, that's what would happen to him. Okay. Does uh, that make sense? <laughs> that makes sense. I don't necessarily accept it, but that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> a, a related question that has to do particularly with this moment at which Variant Loki steps off this uh, sacred timeline. Yeah. How, if you're not a god of mischief, how voluntaristic is it for one to step off the sacred timeline? Is it like, I am interested in fucking things up, so I am going to variant myself and do something unexpected? Can can any being or creature in the MCU voluntaristically step off the sacred timeline and become a variant, I think is the question. So I think what we are led to believe in the show, in this episode, and this I think gets worked out a little bit more a little bit later, but like, I don't think this is a spoiler, but I think what we're led to believe in the show is that people don't know that they are variants until they become variants, right? So like Loki simply steals the the Tesseract, and then, and like pops up in a new place and becomes a variant. I'm going to, I'll explain something else in a minute. So like, he's not like, oh, I want to become a variant, but he does, vol- he does like undertake the actions that cause him to become a variant voluntarily. I think the conditions that, that allow for Loki to become a variant in this case are actually important. So... I think maybe you know this, but I'm just going to briefly summarize Endgame, right? So the thing safe, that ha- safe move to do this. Yeah. One of the things that happens in Endgame, this is like the sec- the middle third of the movie is, is what they call a time heist. And they basically, Infinity War ends with Thanos getting all the Infinity Stones, which we like see in this episode, a bunch of Infinity Stones, which allow Thanos to like be totally in power. And like, Thanos is snapped. He's invincible, is my understanding. Exactly. He snaps. Half of the half of the people in the universe disappear. Right, and then Endgame picks up with like right when that's happening, and all of the heroes that survive are like very sad, and the world is in shambles. (laughs) 
I think okay. I saw this in The Leftovers. Oh, wait, that's a different show. <laughs> I mean, same, same. But so what happens in the set in the middle third of Endgame is they're like, well, we can like we have this technology that allows us to go back in time. So why don't we go back in time, get all of the Infinity Stones again, and reverse the snap? That's like the plot of Endgame. So Loki, 2012 Loki that we meet in this show is actually exploiting the like time traveling that the 2023 Avengers are undertaking. So in the sacred timeline, it's possible the Avengers go back in time in the sacred timeline. This is the exchange he has with the Rona Renslayer, the judge in the sacred timeline, the Avengers go back, but they don't mess up anything. They just like put things back and then, and then keep going. What has happened is Loki has exploited a mistake that they make and steals one of the one of the stones that shouldn't even that shouldn't be in his possession. Okay, <laughs> I think I think I followed some of that, which is not your fault that it was only some. That is my fault that it was only some uh, that I followed. Okay, so I have one further follow up question. Yeah, yeah. Something you said a couple of minutes ago, and that is like. If one doesn't know that they are or are going to become a variant, yeah. so it is. Pr- so if I become, I become a variant. I didn't yeah. know that was going to happen. So the sacred timeline has within it those who will become variants and then have to get reset. That's what it, I mean. That's like what we learned with Loki in this episode, right? There, the they talk about pruning him. That like Correct. weird, like. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, sparky thing, yeah. <laughs> like makes that deletes you. Yes. Um. So like you, in the same way, like Loki didn't know that the TVA existed until sure. until they came and got him, right? And again, this is something I said earlier. We haven't seen the TVA in the MCU yet, um, and like until now. So like, it seems like what happens is if you step off the sacred timeline, you get captured by the TVA because they're doing the monitoring. And and then they prune you, which I guess, like, allows the version of you that doesn't make that decision to stay on the t- sacred timeline. So you're always already potentially a variant. <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted to hear. So my, my next area of questioning has to do with the multiversal war that happened in the past. Maybe the past is the wrong word that we mm-hmm. get explained to us in the Miss Minutes video. Yeah. And my uh, noob understanding is that either in um, Doctor Strange or soon thereafter, there will be another multiversal war question mark i mean like yeah the multiverse is coming for us okay. so the multiverse is a thing in the comics okay um so this is something it like flashes on screen pretty quickly here and it's then something that we get in dr strange in the multiverse of madness but like the the sacred timeline that that like we have been existing in in the MCU is like Earth 616. It's like a particular universe. Sure. So, like, we know from this show, and then spoilers, a little small spoilers for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Like, I'm not going to see it. You're good. You can spoil me. Oh, I wasn't worried about you. I was worried about (laughs) many listeners. But, like, yeah, the multiverse is coming. Fair enough. 
Um, okay. So I, I also want to ask about Thanos and the Infinity Stone situation. Right. So there are these, like, very emotionally poignant moments for Loki in this episode that I didn't understand why those were emotionally resonant for him. The first of these is he has given the slip to Mobius and is going around the TVA messing things up as his mischievous self was wont to do, apparently. And he pulls open the drawer to try to get the Tesseract question mark. Mm-hmm. And all of the other infinity stones are just like in the, in the drawer. And that seems to be an incredibly poignant emotionally clarifying moment for him. And I have no fucking clue why that is. And I don't understand. And then secondly, he gets killed question mark by Thanos question mark in this projection. Yeah. And that's the final thing that he sees in the projection. And so that is the, yes. And so that is the death of sacred timeline Loki is to yeah. be killed by Thanos yeah. because Thanos needed one of the stones from sacred Loki. Yeah. Yeah. Look, so, look at me. So look at how much I know. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> that is, yeah. Loki had the, the Tesseract, which he has now also, but in the sacred timeline, he, he like somehow gets it back. Right. So he has the, the Tesseract or the space stone. Um, and Thanos needs it because he needs he needs to collect them all. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, Loki, get, what happens, and this is the first scene in Infinity War, Loki gives him the space stone and then tries to kill him, to, to kill Thanos. And then instead of succeeding at killing Thanos, Thanos kills him. So that is like the death of sacred timeline Loki. Okay. Does he come back when they reverse the snap? No, because he didn't die in the no, snap. No, because he doesn't die in the snap. Okay. Because the people who are snapped don't die. They're just, like, deleted from existence. Hole. Okay, sure. Yeah, it's like a... A temporal black hole. Yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> that sounds right. In terms of the, like, emotional resonance, so, like, one, that's the, that's the, the, the death scene. And so, Loki... 2012 Loki, who's the Loki that was, that is our main character, has not lived those events yet. So it's, it's meaningful for him because he doesn't know this. And also the other part of it that's meaningful for him is, so Loki and, and Thor in Avengers, that's from 2012, right? So this Loki, Loki and Thor are enemies. They're fighting against each other. They fought against each other in the first Thor movie. They are fighting against each other in the second Thor movie. Uh, they're fighting against each other in Avengers. By the time we get to Thor Ragnarok, they've sort of like reconciled in a bit of a playful way for a variety of reasons. So Infinity War, which is when Loki dies in that scene that we see in this episode, is right after sort of he and Thor have reconciled and sort of gotten back on good terms. So I think like that there's also some emotional resonance like because of the Thor uh, stuff there. And I'll also say a lot of commentators on this show make note of the fact that the last thing that Loki sees in that video is not his death, but it's actually that Thor hugs him, which means that like he felt the hug before he passes away. Okay. We're just like ratcheting up the emotional stakes of the Thor Loki relationship. Okay. I think I have only one more question, and then this okay. might actually be like not 
meaningful. But there's something that Mobius shows <laughs> this Loki that's Phil Coulson. I have yeah. no idea who this is. <laughs> I think I can like recognize names of various Avengers, but probably not many characters beyond that. He's not an Avenger. He's like in so he's part of the like he's part of Shield, which is this other bureaucratic thing, which is what creates the Avengers, the t- which is the name of the team with all of these superheroes. So Coulson, Agent Coulson is like one of, is like important in that regard um, in the Avengers, the movie. So 2012's Avengers, Loki murders Coulson. When Coulson tries to, Coulson's immortal and he tries to stand up to him and Loki's like, now you're dead. <laughs> all right. So. It's it like there's more to it, but it's not that important. <laughs> Great. Uh, let's go to the game portion of Marvel's planning. Danielle, yes. can you explain our game and the name of it? The name yes. is self-explanatory, perhaps, actually. We are calling this game the Easter egg hunt <laughs> after much deliberation. Um, in this uh, sub-segment, I am going to give John three different like scenes or snapshots of things that happened in this episode. And he has to guess which one is like, I'll call it an official Marvel Easter egg. So an Easter egg to something happening in, in the MCU or in Marvel comics. I'm psyched about this game. I'm, I'm going, my goal is to go six for six. Okay. Ready? I'm ready. Okay. The first one is the walking man projection uh, that Mobius shows the kid in like the 16th century Provence. Okay. The second one is the Mongolian desert that Loki finds himself in before he gets taken up by the TVA. Okay. And then the third one is the scene where the dude is like, here's a list of everything you've ever said. And Loki's like, what? Prints a new thing out, sign here. What? Like, and prints another thing out, and then Loki has to sign. All right. Which I'm gonna, of those is the Easter egg? I'm going to throw out Mongolian Desert. Um, although maybe I shouldn't. I'm, that's like my own kind of uh, pretensions that have caused me to throw that out as we'll discuss okay. in gloss. So that brings us down to the Walking Man projection or the list of everything Loki has said. And I can see perhaps more the role variability with the walking man projection. So my vote is for the walking man projection. You have failed the Easter egg. Oh, right. I am 0 for 1. (laughs) Let's go. It's the Mongolian desert. Oh, no. And I picked this one because John has sort of famously or infamously not seen many of the Marvel movies. (laughs) And this is from one of the movies you have seen. This is the desert that Tony Stark crashes into. Okay. Um, in oh, wow. Okay. So this guy, this I saw like as a free movie in the auditorium when my first year in college in 2007. And I can't guarantee that I was fully sober at the time. Um, so it's fair. to be fair, I was going to choose the devil stained glass and then you put it on our notes for the discussion and I was like well we're gonna actually talk about that so I can't use that easter egg all right I lost but I feel that given the unfairness of Daniel Dossier to you as a segment it is actually maybe only just if I literally go over six in easter egg (laughs) hunt over the course of this mini season I think you'll get better at picking them out 
Ooh, that's more faith in me than I have. Let's <laughs> move on to minor character of the week. Yeah, this Danielle, is you. this is me. Oh my gosh. So I have nominated these, what is called in the credits, the scanner clerk, the person operating <laughs> the robot detection machine, who yeah. is played by Aaron Bielmer, and crucially, the cat that yes. is in this like tiny office room uh, <laughs> as Loki descends downward into the TVA. Although really what is time and space? So maybe he's not actually going down. He's, he's uh, appearing in different spaces. Yeah. And when, before we started recording, I was like, I was like, John, have you seen uh, Captain Marvel? Like, is it a cat or is it a flirkin? John was like, mm, I don't, what are what are words? So I mean, I, I did ask myself the question when I saw the cat is like, oh, this cat must be somewhere else in the MCU, and yeah. I and someone like Danielle would know who what this cat is. Up it's to. not that this cat is somewhere else, but I think like the idea that this cat could be a flurkin is interesting. <laughs> All right, I love these minor characters. <laughs> yeah, I appreciated the mm, skepticism of Loki slash also slight like understanding of being in on the joke of yeah. the scanner clerk paid played by Aaron Bielner and the cat's adorable slash yeah. flirkin E. We'll take it. All right. Should we move on to a recurring segment in all of, in all of our feed episodes, gloss? Yes. So, all right. So I said earlier that I roll of the week is the unofficial segment of this podcast. <laughs> and I have to say the opening scene with the Avengers is full of candidates for I roll of the week. A, like the jokes are just absolutely fucking terrible here. They're the cheesiest nonsense I've ever heard in my life. Um, so that's point number one about the opening scene of the Avengers. Oh my point God. number two. It's literally in the movie. Point number two is that you did point out to me why it's 2012. I did have that question. Okay. Point number three, and this is, I think, perhaps the more serious question. Shouldn't they be, they're, like, the most powerful creatures. Shouldn't they, like, be competent enough to, like, not let mischievous god Loki, while he's a culprit and, like, locked up and shackled in some way, like, get away with this all-powerful time-space transportation device? Like, they're, they're, it's just a pure incompetence as to how Loki gets away. The Avengers? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's the, like, yes, you're you're right. But I think, like, the thing that is true about Loki, which is that he often fails, is, like, so do the Avengers. They, like, because ultimately, right, they're, like, the same kind of fuck-ups that we are. <laughs> so, like, yes, you're right, but also, like... That's part of it. All right. Fair enough. I have further questions, but we can save that for when we probably never do. Maybe maybe it would be fun is not the word, but we'll go with fun to like make me watch an event, like a later event. I'm movie. So not I have- interested in doing that because at least Loki is interesting and temporality and Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. Uh, like... I think there's enough stuff in here to balance your like extreme skepticism and like have fun. I don't think the Avengers movies are going to have that for you. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) Danielle, one of the more in here, I want to give credit where credit is due because I'm fair ultimately as a, as a being, uh, the aesthetics (laughs) of the TVA are actually pretty incredible. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about what do you think? I mean, I think, like, the architecture is really cool within the various buildings. Um, I didn't necessarily love the, like, giant CGI, like, space scope, uh, space scape 
of like Coruscant in the TVA, to be quite (laughs) honest, that I could have done without. But the interiors are beautifully designed. Yeah. The like combination of brutalist aesthetics with like very bureaucratic aesthetics with um, a certain kind of romanticism at points. Um, Yeah. And I thought the way that those things came together was quite interesting. The art that is depicted around the TVA has Mm -hmm. some Soviet real, it's giving me Soviet realism vibes and that ties into like the bureaucratic brutalism of it all. The color, all the orange, I find very, like, cool in the way that they're using the color orange. So it's lots of aesthetics of the TVA to enjoy. This, I mean, this is, you know, it's no Soviet embassy in the Americans, but uh, it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, and I would, I would just make two points. One, I agree that the, like, Coruscant, uh, like, snapshot was, was the like the CGI fest was like the least aesthetically pleasing though i do think the purpose of it is to give a sense of the like the vastness of this of like where we are so i think and i think it does accomplish that though i like didn't need to see as many flying cars um but i also think just to add maybe another layer to your point about the aesthetics and how interesting they are is like there is sort of a timeless vibe to them right because it's yeah. it's combining a lot of different like aesthetic uh, moments or pieces into one. So the there's something about the like being inside a like 1970s-esque bureaucratic office takes time out of the picture. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And also the way that scale gets played with even in the interiors. And there's yeah. like oftentimes an exaggeration of the level and like heights. Like the ceilings are just gigantically tall. Um, the judge is sitting way, 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 way above more so than a like quote unquote a normal or our courtroom. Yeah. I didn't need the uh, Owen Wilson and Gugu Mbatha-Ra like making a joke about that. I could have done without that particular part of it. Um, unless they fucked in the past, then I'd be, then I would accept it. Um, but that could be a question for John Dossier. <laughs> <laughs> Who has fucked? <laughs> well, we, famously, there is no sex in the MCU, so. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, in the Eternals, there is sex on screen. Right, it only took them 20 years to do it. <laughs> <laughs> See our episode <laughs> back yeah. in the feed for yes. a longer discussion on this. Correct. Um, but anyway, just to point out that, like, I, the aesthetics are great, and then it ties into as well the. The point you make about why did they depict this Coruscant-like mm-hmm. uh, CGI fest does call attention to your point to the fact that, like, this is also, I think, intended as a celebration of civil servants. Although, of course, I then want to go with the Loki reading of burn it all to the ground. I don't know that it's a celebration. I think it's. I think there's something a little bit more subversive. Like the fact, there's like a couple of things happening at once, right? Like on the one hand, as the audience, like we've never seen this before. So we don't even know that this huge like thing is doing a lot of controlling of the reality that we're in, right? Because it's like sight unseen. And so like, I, I think we're also meant to question the like, this is a little bit of the Mobius uh, Judge Renslayer back and forth. We're like, I think we're meant to question the sort of like automaton, yeah. like like bureaucratic bullshit of it all. 
Yeah. Um, but also like, it's still quite powerful. So. Yeah. And I'm, and in some ways I'm thinking particularly of the Miss Minutes video, which I'll, yeah. I'll agree with you is a cool thing that yeah. happens. Um, <laughs> it's well, like the graphic, the graphic design is good. The narration is good. The voice acting is good. Um, that's, I think actually where the celebration of the civil, of civil service comes through most clearly. Although, yeah. I vaguely remember things with Miss Minutes get more complicated as we move forward. In fact, they do. So we'll put a pin in the Miss Minutes discussion. Yeah. But anything else you wanted to highlight about the Miss Minutes explainer video, which again, I also badly needed to your point of this show is at times willing to do some exposition for the noobs. So like, but, but the thing that's beautiful about the Miss Minutes video is like, it's not just for people like you who are novices. It's for people like me who have watched all of these movies and all of these properties multiple times like this is all new information for i mean it's not new if you're like a like deep in the comics but like the way that they're doing it in the mcu and the like uh the like this specific stuff is new to the cinematic universe so that that was actually for everybody got it yeah look at that not just you all right we're we're gonna talk about temporality a bunch in the show. (laughs) Gee, imagine that. But what about the way they're introducing the play with temporality intrigues you in this particular episode? Yeah. I mean, I liked the, the line, which I believe I've already quoted in this episode of like time passes differently at the TVA. Um, and that it was, and the, in particular, I liked the picture of the temporal aura. Like I like that they're playing with these things. And the something that I thought was interesting is that the stone that Loki has is the space stone, the, the Tesseract. So it's it's like basically what it does in in, you know, in the sacred timeline is it like opens up portals in space that allow you to transport yourself like far away. It's sort of like literally like a tesseract if you have read a wrinkle in time um and yet they're like the thing that is being played with or that is being challenged is like the timeline so this connection between space and time that happens through the tesseract is really fascinating to me i don't have like more developed thoughts on that but it's something i'm i'm interested in like continuing to think about as we're jumping around to different places and different moments on the timeline and how those things are connected. Can I add one particular building on yeah. that development in that the other part of the gigantic scope of the physical quote, question mark physical um, existence of, <laughs> the TV, of the TV of the TVA yeah. is that it is an entity that is dealing with time and sacred timeline and multiverses and branches and nexuses and Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And yet, then, and that then makes the question of does it actually have a physical existence in space? Like, where does the TVA exist yeah. physically? If it can be said to physically exist in time and space, both yeah. is I think a question that I have raised for myself in response to the way you have thought yeah. through that shot of the entire TVA. Yeah, and I want to come back to this question like over the course of these episodes because that's a that's also a question that I have, which has like potentially practical implications for the MCU, but also I think like 
for us has these like philosophical, like allows us to play a bit more philosophically with these questions. Great. Um, can I, uh, I'm going to have a quibble with one of the temporality jokes of the show, which is naming the hunters, the Minutemen or the guards, (laughs) the Minutemen. I don't know. That would be a great bad joke. If there weren't a racist border vigilante group naming themselves the Minutemen. Oh, so I'm like, I'm sure that I'm sure that there were comics in which there was the Minutemen before the racist border vigilantes existed. But like, that's a good enough reason to give them a different name in the show. Yeah, that's fair. I'll I'll take it. Quibble. I have zero idea what's happening. This is like a bonus (laughs) explaining. Um, I, I obviously I know vaguely the reference to DB Cooper. Is there any other meaning we're to take from this plane heist scenario? I just was confused. No, because like the famous thing about DB Cooper, right, is like we don't know who it actually was. We just know that this happened, and then he he sort of disappears. And so, like, what the show posits is that he disappears because it's Loki, and he literally does disappear because yeah. um, Thor and Heimdall like zip him away. So that explains why he's never, he was never found. Okay. That's like, that's what the joke is. Okay. Kind of still say that doesn't qualify as a good joke. That's fair. (laughs) I'll I'll allow it. (laughs) I'm not sure that you do, but that's okay. (laughs) Uh, You have on our list, the one good joke (laughs) and you wouldn't tell me what it was before we started recording. So I've been waiting for an hour for you to tell me. Do you have any guesses? No, it's because I think I thought that the DB Cooper thing was a good joke. Ah, okay, no, <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, the one good joke is the only other variant who is like apprehended along with Loki and is like going through the process just ahead of them yeah, is yeah. like the fail son of a Goldman Sachs executive and tells the TVA Minutemen guard whatever. Um, that uh, his dad's an executive at Goldman Sachs and will have his job privatized. <laughs> and then, of course, Goldman Sachs' fail son gets uh, zapped. So He does. He gets pruned. Yes. Um, so the Goldman Sachs privatization joke wins the one good joke award for this episode. I didn't even catch that joke. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that just shows where you and I both are on this show. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> Um, okay, the last thing we have in glass is the Mongolia, Oklahoma space time. Yeah, so you did give me a reason why the fuck they're in Mongolia. Um, because <laughs> that was literally the third thing in my notes is why the fuck are we in Mongolia? I'm uncomfortable by this. <laughs> and it's literally because that's where Tony Stark was. I'm still not comfortable, but now I at least understand the question. And this is where I would want the show to be something that is not. I only want the Mongolia scene if there's like a critique about coloniality and temporality and modernity, <laughs> which I don't think is what's happening as much as generous as I have tried to be with Loki in the past hour of our lives. You have not been generous, but it also wow. hasn't happened. So it's I've fine. been extremely <laughs> generous. <laughs> And then I have similar questions about why are we in Oklahoma in 1858, which is a weird time to be like, let's go to Oklahoma because we are a few years before the Civil War. If I'm remembering my American history, Danielle, Oklahoma, west of the Mississippi River. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> you just saw the question marks appear in yeah. my eyes. <laughs> um, this is a place where like large numbers of indigenous people have been forcibly removed and mm-hmm. forcibly settled uh, there. But before the Dawes Act, before the land grab yeah. and privatization of the land um, and forcible stealing of the land more accurately from indigenous peoples in Oklahoma. So I'm just like, what are we doing? Why are we in Oklahoma in 1858? I'm not going to answer that question. We're going to put a pin in it. Okay. Do we find out later in, in the show or... It's like not, a broader, not specifically like why Oklahoma at that date, but we do like it, they don't necessarily go back to and say like Oklahoma because of X, Y, and Z reasons. But it will become clear like why it will become clear why we go to different places. And, and so it will explain the Oklahoma thing, too. I will grant that for now, but I reserve the right to... I don't think it's going to satisfy you in terms Great. of the, like, what about, like, indigenous dispossession and, and violence and murder and colonial... Like, it Correct. doesn't satisfy... Like, this, <laughs> this is the MCU. So, like, it's not going to satisfy you in that regard. But there is an explanation. All right. And yet, we have another new segment... Even with that caveat from Danielle, I will be unsatisfied about the uh, coloniality dimensions um, about politics in the MCU, which is also known as what is the sovereignty situation with the Sokovia Accords? Because if you remember back to our trailer or to the first First episode episode of the Americans discussion as well, um, arguably the, the birth of this podcast was... I'm about to see Black Widow with Danielle in the movie theaters in the summer of 2021. (laughs) And it's about to start in a couple of minutes. And I asked Danielle, so what's the sovereignty's deal with the Sokovia Accords? (laughs) So we're going to revive the origins of this podcast for a segment called The Politics of the MCU. And I'm going to ask a version of the question (laughs) that started our podcast, Danielle. Um, What's the deal with the sovereignty of the TVA? How does one exercise sovereignty in an entire juridical apparatus over time? Yeah, I mean, I think that is a great question. (laughs) And I think it goes back to the question of like, um, who decides what we get to question, right? Like, Mm. what is the sovereignty of the TVA is intimately connected to like, what is the structure that affords the TVA authority that then like allows us to have one sacred timeline and multiple and then nexus events and variants and this and that. So those things are, are intimately connected. Um, but I'm going to decline to answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, th- and I think like, this is a question that we should continue to come back to. I think like we learn a couple of things in this episode. So I'm going to decline to give a big answer, but I will like, I'll, I'll give us some things to think about. We learn a couple of things in this episode. One, we learn that, that like there is a like quasi judicial system. Yes. Here, right. Where, so like they don't just, you end up at the TVA and it's not just like you're identified as a variant, like you're out. They put you on trial. A show trial. It's a a show show trial. trial. Yeah. But like with the entrance of Mobius, we do get, we do see that like sometimes like there. But it's like an extra juridical exception. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Loki's pending erasure. But it also like 
right? It raises the same question that we, that would like get raised with like a gumbin or like what does the like extra juridical tell us about the, the juridical? Precisely. And also like get some separation of powers here, my guys. Yeah. Uh, not only <laughs> my guys, dudes. but my dudes. Uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think like on the one hand, I'm, I'm like a big answer to like, what's the deal with sovereignty in the TVA? Uh, like, Let's put a pin in that. However, like the structure of authority is such that like we are getting these other pieces, right? So I think it 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 well, it just raises more questions for us to think about the operation of power. Yeah, because I'm also part of this question for me has to do with the uh, the question that Loki poses to Judge Renslayer that yep. is did I get the name right on that? You did, Ravana wow. Renslayer. Wow. I didn't even have to look that one up. You said it a couple of times and I actually remembered it. Um, nice. it's, a, it's a great accomplishment of my life. And so it's the question Loki poses about, well, why didn't you do anything to apprehend yeah. the vendors when they were doing that stuff? Right. And so Renslayer says, well, they were doing what is part of the sacred timeline or whatever. Yeah. But then that for me raises the question of if the TVA ruled or determined that if the space lizards were like Avengers, you're operating outside the timeline. Yeah. Do they have the uh, technical and then kind of effectual power to like fuck up the Avengers shit? I mean, I think we're supposed to think that the answer is yes. Okay. Whether or not we end the series thinking that I think is a different question. All right. So it does come down to the space lizards in the end. It's always the space lizards. <laughs> always the space lizards. Um, how I, I can't believe I only just realized as we got into this segment, Danielle. But it's yet ba- it's another Marvel explaining segment. Is is yeah. what this segment is? Listen, I'm okay with that. It's not only another Marvel explaining segment, but it's also an homage <laughs> to the book that I'm in, like pol- the MCU in politics, right? Yeah. Which hopefully will have at least some of the contributors or maybe the editors of that book on this pod. Uh, in a couple of weeks. It's also a way to smuggle in a second to the cave to our Loki episodes. As I have said in other episodes, our entire podcast is the cave. (laughs) (laughs) Little did you know that when you tap play on your phone, (laughs) you entered the cave. Well, it's like we pretend that when we talk about like self-knowledge, it's not political <laughs> theory, but it is. All right. Um, and like the audience question is literally a question I take up in my work. So that's true. it's not that's not so the case. True. So let's def- definitively and self-avowedly yeah. instead of yeah. uh, mischievously enter nice. the cave. Yes. Who are we going to the cave with today? Listen, the only person we could be in the cave, and I guess it's people, (laughs) 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 are uh, Plato and Socrates. Because I, rewatching this episode, and I've seen it a number of times, um, the discussion that Mobius and Loki keep keep having is this discussion of self-knowledge, which we've talked a little bit about. And this idea of know thyself as like one of the central teachings of Socrates, it comes up in the Apology. Um, It's inscribed like at Delphi, um, that idea of knowing thyself. And one of the things that makes Socrates uh, so wise is that he knows that he knows nothing, right? So knowing that about himself is actually like 
something that's so important to him, even though he doesn't have like facts packed in his brain, he knows how to, he knows that he needs to be asking questions about the world. And I think like there's a parallel there to, to Loki and, and to the show Loki. And then to the discussion that Loki and Mobius have where sort of after Loki watches the video and, and he finally says to, to Mobius, like, I don't enjoy hurting people. I do it because I have to, because it's part of the illusion. And Mobius has a desperate play for control. You do know yourself, right? And so that that's the know thyself thing. And I think it only connects to like the, I guess like the MacGuffin we get at the end of this episode, which is like the variant we're hunting is you. Who better to hunt yourself than you? Because you've proven to me that you do know who you are. It's a great, it's a great explication of the cave. Um, there are other know thyselves in political theory, but as Danielle <laughs> tracked me for before <laughs> the episode began recording, this is the only acceptable version for the cave and for political theory writ large. But to build off of your point. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like I was not going to go know thyself with Hobbes. Well, because like, Hobbes also is a sovereignty sort of deal. Yeah, that, no, that's, that makes that's sense. The, that makes sense. That's the direction I was heading. And like, he also has a know thyself, so that worked. Um, Hobbes is a poor man's ancients, man. <laughs> I would disagree there, but that's a perhaps different <laughs> issue for a different day. I think about Socrates, the way that know thyself becomes relevant across like a broader range in this particular episode is that part of Socrates's dictum to know thyself and him knowing himself as somebody who knows nothing and thus is wise is the charge or the task he gives to Athenians of, you know, he says that I'm the one that tells you to pursue truth yeah. or beauty or goodness or wisdom yeah. or virtue as opposed to wealth and reputation and mm-hmm. honors and power Right, which is kind of the thing that I end up talking about the most with my students, yeah. that particular term that he makes. And so it's the self-knowledge, as you pointed out earlier, much earlier in the episode, that opens up these broader sort of moral or ethical concerns. And yeah. like, even if I'm skeptical of how much character development in the MCU in a kind of moral sense is possible, yeah. the fact that the know thyself dictum opens that possibility up for this Loki variant is certainly something to consider. Yeah. And I think just like on that note, and I know I've harped on this a couple of times in this discussion, but like, I think that it's telling that Mobius shows Loki the arc of his life at like, should he have kept going on the sacred timeline, that there is something about the, like, there is something about this like redemptive arc that, that Loki goes on the sort of coming back to his family, coming back to his brother and his mother and his father um, and how that shapes him as, as like part of Mobius's attempt to wrench open those ethical questions because like he's meeting a Loki that like has not wrenched those questions open yeah. is literally just interested in mischief yeah. and like, fucking around (laughs) (laughs) which also like that's a vibe i'm 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 kind of here for it yeah yeah and like even the know thyself loki is like not above the mischief vibes great (laughs) so listen i think like loki strikes me as someone who wants to be in a cave he wants to be chained up a little bit (laughs) (laughs) 
A thousand percent, yes. (laughs) Oh, have we come to the end of this episode? We did it. We did it. We've now... I'm I'm impressed that you, like, withstood the me talking at you about Marvel for this long. Oh, see, I don't think that's what happened at all. Because, again, (laughs) I was very, very generous over the past 80 minutes of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) You did really come back from that. We are absolutely not talking about Hobbes. <laughs> like, the law that I laid down in the beginning. Yeah. So. Good. good. I'm, you know, got to uh, do my best to represent our friend Tom. Amazing. All right. So the way. Can I tell you my favorite Thomas Hobbes anecdote? Oh, no. Yeah, please. The man <laughs> played tennis weekly into his 70s with his friends. End of story. (laughs) You know, that's better than Rousseau, like, leaving children on a church orphanage doorstep. So I'll take it. Again, better personal ethics than Rousseau. Not the highest bar to clear, but Tom clears it. Yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. Wrote in some Latin. Does have a... (laughs) He does have a banging translation of the Iliad, I will say. All right. Um, okay, so let's tell, I'm going to tell our burgeoning audience yeah. a little bit how this is going to work. Much more important than Hobbes' tennis uh, game. <laughs> Correct. So we're going to be dropping our regular Americans episodes on Thursdays. The Marvel episodes for now will drop on Tuesdays. So for the foreseeable future, you'll get two a week. Um, and we will keep you updated if that's going to change. Yeah. So that's what that's because we're going to do Loki. Then we're going to do Moon Knight. Yes. So that that's the next 12 weeks of your life where you have double. Perfect. Not quite great books to listen to in your life. Listen, it's how we all want to spend our summer vacations. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Watching MCU shows multiple times, definitely how I wanted to spend my summer vacation. No doubts about that whatsoever. <laughs> I don't hear a hint of sarcasm <laughs> at all. It might be willful unhearing, but fine. <laughs> um, thank you, as always, to producer Amy. Um, I don't think producer Amy's probably not joining us on Loki cast is my understanding. I can't imagine she would be into that, (laughs) (laughs) but she will be back for season two of the Americans. So you very well, you very well might meet her in this feed in the coming weeks. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Thanks for joining us on not quite great books, a TV podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball. We can replace the theme song with (laughs) you singing the zone.